Sunday, July 18, 2021, by the way. Um, for those of you that didn't hear, the Flyers acquired Ryan Ellis yesterday um, for Nolan Patrick and Phil Myers. Kind of out of the blue. I uh, <laughs> I was just chilling yesterday. I got a uh, notification from Bleacher Report, of all places. That said, Ellis to Flyers, Patrick out, and... A lot of the shit Bleacher Report sends me is typically, like, betting odds or power rankings or, you know, shit like that. So I just thought at first I was like, ah, that must just be a, you know, trade scenario or something. Who the fuck cares? And it dawned on me and said, wait, what did that say? And uh, went to the tried and true trusty Twitter to find out. And, uh, yeah, that happened. Chuck Fletcher did a fucking thing. Not only did he do a thing, he did a really good thing. Ryan Ellis, top defenseman out of Nashville, will be 31 in uh, early January. Six years left at 6.25 mil for Nolan Patrick, the fourth-line scrub, and Phil Myers, the hot mess of a defenseman. And uh, baffled that this trade happened. I I, I don't know what the hell Nashville was thinking on this one, but uh, I'll take it because the Flyers got the guy. Dude, it is like... The quintessential perfect trade. Yes. There is nothing wrong with this trade. And there is, like, nothing that you could say to kind of spin it into a bad deal. Because, you know, like, I had been saying for weeks, if not months, that I didn't think Ryan Ellis was an option. And then I came on here on Wednesday after I had talks with people in and around the organization and I said, look out for Ryan Ellis. And it was the last show I said that, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and then I put out a tweet uh, some saying something along the same lines on Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. And I was thinking, like, you know, Morgan Frost, 13th overall pick, maybe a Igor Zamula, maybe Konechny, but I don't think that's what Nashville was going to be looking for or that the Flyers would even want to give up. But... You know, Myers and Patrick, I fully thought that Patrick was going to be like a throw in if they traded like 
connect me for Sam Reinhardt. And they said, okay, here's Patrick as like something to, you know, tip the scales a bit. But it was just like no draft pick, no high level prospect, just these two. And like, I'll start with Patrick because he's the easy one. Like it was never going to work here. It was clear the player didn't want it to work here. The guy has not impressed us at all since the 2018 first round series against the Pittsburgh Penguins, even his sophomore year where he played almost the entirety of it. He really was nothing special. Missed all of 1920, comes back this year, was by far the worst centerman they had. You could make the case he was by far the worst forward they had. Like, it was not going to happen. And credit to Anthony Sanfilippo on trade deadline day back in April. He said that Vegas was a team that were maybe going to take a flyer on Nolan Patrick because of the ties between Kelly McCrimmon and Patrick going back to their time with the, I believe it was the Brandon Wee Kings. Yes. I, I want, yeah, exactly. So good riddance, whatever. <laughs> Then you get to Phil Myers, and Phil Myers, like I said in a tweet yesterday, like it really is a shame that it didn't work out with him because, you know, an undrafted player, a big mobile right shot defenseman, you know, not even a year ago, you and I were sitting here and saying that we thought that Phil Myers was close to an, un- an, unta- an untouchable, Jesus Christ, asset. It's early. That the fly- <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, um, the Flyers have. And just for the fact that he was a right shot player, I thought that he, in a lot of ways, he impressed in 2019, 20, they get him on like what I still believe to be a very good contract. Two more years left at 2.55, I want to say. And I think that Myers will solidify himself as a decent top four defenseman in the NHL. And maybe in a few years, he'll even be good enough to play with Roman Yossi. But then again, I could probably play with Roman Yossi. (laughs) But all this being said is that Myers is going to be 25 in, I want to say, a couple months. You know, this isn't a developing player anymore. Like, yes, maybe he doesn't have as many games as most players at that age may have. Like, typically, you're developing up until 300 games. But when you get to your mid-20s, you know, how much room for development is there really? And they gave him a massive opportunity this year to really show what he's got. And he was one of the worst defensemen I've seen the Flyers ice in their top four in quite some time. And that's saying something. That is saying something. Like, you know, we would come on here and compare him and Travis Sanheim. And it was like Sanheim would make mistakes within good parts of his game but Myers it was almost like he was going out of his way to be bad like just blown coverages bad with the puck you know he's a big guy but he was like not using it at all good skater but couldn't jump up in the play like there were no redeeming qualities about his game this year and you know I'll I'll pitch it to you quickly like even though you are not the biggest Travis Sanheim fan like you would agree, right, that whenever Sanheim wasn't with Myers, he was exceptionally better, correct? Both of them were better apart um, than they were together, and for some reason they just kept putting it back together, mainly because neither one of them looked good, you know, uh, truly elite on the right side next to Provera, which is the, the biggest issue there. But I've been watching Phil Myers a long time. I watched him in Lehigh Valley uh, both of the years he was down there, and to this day I hold firm to the belief he was probably the best player I've ever seen suit up for Lehigh Valley. 
the shit wow, he really, did. Eh? He was incredible down there. You know, the way he was able to utilize his offensive abilities was always something that was dazzling to watch. But, you know, the biggest issue with things like that, and it's not just Myers, it's a lot of offensive defensemen, is you have trouble translating that game to the NHL simply because you have to play defense and you can't focus solely on offense. And he was just a guy that got cut up. And as you alluded to, he wasn't, he's only at like 120 games in his career, whatever it is. Um, But he's in his mid 20s and he was quickly approaching the point where I wanted to start seeing something legitimate from him. Um, you kind of wanted to say, all right, you know, you're your top prospect, you're doing this, but you're a hundred some games in your career. Let's start seeing something that, you know, you're, you're, you're going towards the point where you're actually getting better. And it just didn't really happen. Um, I, I like Myers. I still believe in 10 years from now, we'll look back and he'll be better than Sanheim overall, but it, it just, it just couldn't happen here. You, it was just, as I alluded to on Twitter yesterday, like if this was five years ago and Myers was here and still developing and you had a little bit of time left in your rebuild pattern before it was go time and you wanted to give him another season just to see if it was a fluke and let it bounce back fine but you're just not at a point where you can run it back with this guy again and give him one more year to see if he can finally pull us out of his ass you know it was time to make the move it was time for him to go the cost certainty there you know makes him a very uh uh, decent addition for nashville what 2.5 for another two years or something like that it was a good ad. You know, I, I like Myers, but I, I think fans have been conditioned under the Hextall era to assume that everybody draft pick or, or undrafted free agent in Myers' case, that they're all just going to be stars one day. You know, they're all just going to figure it out and they're all going to make the NHL and be stars and you're going to build around the people in your own system. But the reality of the situation is draft picks, prospects, players, like – if they don't work out in your system, they are currency for a trade for players that are developed and can work in your system. And that's what we saw here. We saw two meddling depth forward, uh, Nolan Patrick, and, and a defenseman that really needed to figure his shit out in Phil Myers. And you got a top guy. You know, like, this was the perfect trade. And as you alluded to, you did it without giving up your first-round pick. You did it without giving up Frost. You've got Voracek. You've got JVR. You've got Sanheim. You've got, you know, how many fucking prospects down with the Phantoms right now? Like, you managed to get maybe the top guy this summer without giving up anything overly substantial. And now Chuck Fletcher still has that ability to go out there and make more trades. And this is something that we talked about quite a bit over the last little while is giving him the benefit of the doubt, right? I don't want to do that. And, you know, when he did his press conference yesterday and said, yeah, I'm still looking for moves. It's like, I believe him now, you know, like a little bit of good faith goes a long way. And this was more than just a little bit of good faith. This was pedal to the metal. We're doing shit. And that's the most important part. Like, this was good. This is what I wanted to see. This is all I ever wanted to see was a step in the right direction. (laughs) And they finally, finally, finally gave us somebody like that. And feeling pretty good, not going to lie. Well, it's because, and I'll just give some closing thoughts on Myers, is that I do think that even maybe as early as this year, we'll look back and be like, damn, he's carving out a nice spot for himself in the top four of the Nashville Predators, you know, playing beside Ekholm or playing beside Roman Yossi. And, you know, 
He was horrible this year. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts. He yeah. was terrible. But much like Provorov and much like Braun and much like Sanheim, he was being overdeployed. But of those guys, because we could even throw Shane Gossespear in, who was much better than Phil Myers this year, Phil Myers was the worst of the bunch. Even if you took the main six defensemen of, of the Flyers this year, so not counting Prosser and Gustafson, but let's say you take Provorov, Sanheim, Haig, Myers, Braun, and Gossespear. In their respective roles, no one was worse than Phil Myers yeah. by like a pretty wide margin. And you took that and Nolan Patrick and parlayed it into one of the best options available on defense available right now. And I say that because of the, the contract, and I know everyone is kind of like a bit trepidatious. You know, you have six years left at $6.25 million. But for me, I think the fact that he has that much term left on his deal almost makes it more attractive. Like, if he had $8 million per year, maybe I'd be like, okay, this is a bit odd. Not sure if I want to get, like, mixed up with this contract. But it's $6.25 million. He makes less than Provorov. Like, yeah. I mean... And now you kind of and what was kind of reported earlier in the summer that they didn't want to go out and get Hamilton because they didn't want to pay a guy nine million dollars a year. You know, it makes a bit of sense. They wanted a guy who could kind of maybe platoon with Provorov as the number one, maybe kind of like Warrensky and Jones did in Columbus over the last number of years. And I think in a lot of ways it makes sense. And like, I guess I'll sway it back to Ivan Provorov, like. I'm fully expecting this guy now to just have an absolutely brilliant season. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some Norris votes this year. Like, that's how good I think he will be in light of this trade. You're going to have Ryan Ellis beside him, and now you're going to have this guy beside him for the foreseeable future. Like, how much of a positive impact do you think this is going to have on Provorov? I mean, we saw the corpse of Matt Niskanen was able to drag Provorov to the best season of his career, and now you put somebody who's, you know, the caliber of Ryan Ellis next to him for not just this year, but the next six years. Like, that's what you need. You know, this is what you needed for Ivan Provorov. You needed a guy who can not only hold it down this year, but hold it down for the uh, foreseeable future. And Ellis is that guy. And... You're going to see Ivan Provorov play a lot better. And, and I, I have not uh, tolerated a lot of the uh, Ivan Provorov slander we've seen on Twitter over the last little while, where a lot of people kind of gave up on him in a sense. And, you know, is he, will he ever be a true number one by himself? I have no idea. Um, but when you put somebody like Ryan Ellis next to him, it's going to improve his game substantially. That is going to be a hell of a top pair. And uh, no, if I've got Norris votes just yet. Last time we said something positive about him, they fucked everything up. So I'm gonna uh, <laughs> gonna wait a little while. But uh, it, it, they very well could. If this pair works out like it should on paper, there's no reason why it shouldn't. But yeah, this is a this is the exact guy you needed next to Provorov for the next little while. And uh, you mentioned the cost certainty. He's half a million dollars less than Ivan Provorov in over six years, six point two five. So that's not bad. Um, the you know you would get, that's kind of the appealing side of Jones. And Hamilton, uh, you know, versus Ellis is that you're getting him on 6.2. But, you know, you get Jones for a year at 5.4, but then he's going to get 
eight to nine million, right? Hamilton, Christ knows what Hamilton's going to get this year. Eight, nine, ten million dollars. Who knows? You know, you're getting a lot of those guys. Sure, you may be getting the younger player, but you're also paying him a lot more. Ellis, you're, you got the 30-year-old. Yeah, there's a bit of injury concern there, but it's nothing overly substantial. But you got him on 6.25 million. You know, that that's going to be a much lower cap hit than a lot of the other guys available this summer are. And that's a huge positive as well, is that kind of... Uh, that kind of you know financial reassurance there yeah and that <clears throat> that's a big thing and when I spoke to Mike Yo earlier in the summer when I did the the piece uh, with him is that I like there was a strong sense that they still believe that Ivan Provorov was a bona fide number one and they just wanted to get him a solid partner and look over his track record and before I continue, I think there is something that needs to be said. Like, there's a difference between being a bona fide number one defenseman and being an elite level defenseman. Like, when I say he's a bona fide number one, I'm not saying he's Yossi, Hedman, and Pietrangelo. Like, I'm saying that he's a number one in the sense of, like, uh, like for instance, I'll ask you, do you think Kimo Timonen was a number one defenseman? <clears throat> yes and his peak he sure was yeah so but was he ever gonna get norris votes probably not probably not no. so yeah so that, that's how i kind of see pro Rob. i think he's a number one defenseman just not let's say an elite level defenseman but all this being said is that i think they truly believe they just needed like a really 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 good number two and you could probably make the case that these two are both like of the same caliber and they're going to kind of platoon the way that they uh, share the responsibilities. And now I'm almost more interested to see what they do with Sanheim and who his partner is going to be. Because now that you move Phil Myers, you need to add another defenseman. And I think they're going to look for the same thing with Sanheim as they did with Provorov. Obviously not another Ellis type of D, but I fully expect them to go after a Savard or Ristolainen to pair with Travis Sanheim. And now I'm looking at all this and I'm saying to myself, like, they've already landed the number one need this summer before the expansion draft, before the entry draft, before free agency. It's taken care of. And they gave up none of their biggest assets in terms of currency. Like, Konechny's still here. Frost's still here. Zamula's still here. First round pick is still here. And I'm just pretty optimistic because I'm saying, like, even if you just add a backup goalie like Jonathan Bernier, David Savard, and a depth center like Nick Foligno, and let's say you lose Voracek to um, to Seattle, like, I mean, I would still like to see a big offensive name like Sam Reinhardt come in, but let's say they just shore up the defense with another name like Aristolainen or Savard, and add a backup goalie and a depth centerman, like, it is a substantially better roster, don't you think? Yeah, you filled your biggest hole with Ellis. If you find yourself a quality backup goalie, somebody maybe Bernier or Olmark or something along those lines, and find a good 3C, a legitimate 3C, um, you know, th those are your three biggest holes, essentially, that you filled. Um, finding another depth guy for, for Sanheim would be great as well. You know, that's... Uh, those are your biggest boxes, and as you alluded to, they have all their uh, ammunition still left in terms of frost and your first-round pick and stuff, and uh, a little bit of cap to spare, especially if they get rid of Voracek. So, 
they can get a little fancier here than just kind of going for the bare minimum. And uh, hopefully they do, because uh, now that I've seen one big trade, I want more. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll ask you, like, what do you think should be the next priority, like, on the pecking order here? Like, do you think it should be adding a 3C? Do you think it should be adding, like, a tough winger like Bertuzzi? Do you think they should just continue to solidify the defense? Like, what do you think here? If you're going to put assets into something else, probably 3C would be what I would address next um, in terms of finding a legitimate body down there. Uh, you just, <laughs> you know, Hayes is going to come back from the, the surgery, the core muscle surgery. You know, Couturier is... You know, 29 years old, like, I think you need some help down the middle. You obviously can't rely on Scott Lawton or Morgan Frost or any of these guys to play that role. Like, I'm so tired of seeing just random shitheads fill in for 3C. Go out and find me somebody legitimate, even if you want to add somebody like Reinhardt to play 2C and Hayes goes to 3C to start the season, whatever. Something like that would be what I would do next. It just feels like the next biggest uh, hole in terms of things that need addressing. Yeah, and... You know, I'm looking at how good this trade was, man. And I kind of said it earlier, not sure if it was off the air or whatnot, but it was like a trade that was universally beloved by everyone from a Flyers perspective, like analytics, old school fans, guys who take a more objective approach, journalists, let's say like you and myself, like it is just such a win-win scenario, but you still have a small demographic that are trying to sway this in a way of, oh, it's going to blow up in their face down the road. Oh, like this is a large package that, that could bite them. Like how could someone possibly say that this was a bad trade in any way? And this is including if Patrick becomes a decent 3C and Myers becomes a solid second pair defenseman. Even if that happens, which there's a good possibility that there that it will, you know, I've said numerous times, it doesn't have to be a full blown ripoff where one team gets garbage for it to be a good trade. But like, there is just such little risk in this, especially given where the Flyers are coming from, being so bad this year with those two specific players playing somewhat prominent roles. So my whole like point to this is that there are still people trying to rain on the parade when it seems that this is a move. And this season as a whole was when every type of fan kind of came together and universally said, this is not acceptable. And now are universally saying that this trade is absolutely awesome. So like, do you think there is a certain point with some fans that no matter how bad the trade is or how good the trade is, that they will always find a way to pick it apart. Oh, of course there is. It's just the nature of the beast with this stuff. You can't please anybody 100% of the time. And, you know, I, I, I think 95% of the people really loved this trade because it's so hard not to. I mean, this is a win. No matter how you slice it, it's a fucking win. And a lot of the people, there were two groups of people essentially that I saw that didn't like the deal being the weird teenage girl Noel Pat stands, which were just in tears, which just warmed my heart, by the way. That was the best part of this whole trade is the fact that they fucking got rid of uh, <laughs> Nolan Patrick, just so I never have to see him again. And uh, that that one other certain site out there with that one shithead that uh, discredited uh, 
our friend uh, Anthony Sanfilippo for months. But, uh, yeah. you know, if you're going to be a shithead in that sense, like, you know, whatever. I don't have a lot of respect for them anyway, but there's no reason to not like this trade. You know, listen, I get its potential, and I get this is the first major move since Hextall's demise that kind of got rid of that, you know, the, the, the first move. This has to be the first move that, you know, got rid of players that were in Hextall's system. Um, so it's a big one, but, you know, if the Flyers come out swinging next year and look a lot better on the ice, that should alleviate a lot of doubts that we are seeing now from these people, so... If you don't like the trade, fuck you. I really don't care. Okay, <laughs> like th- this was this was a win. This was a win for the organization. The biggest win in fucking ten years, at least. You know, it's just what I want to see. Um, just a, a side note here: the Flyers protection list came out. They went seven three and one. They protected Couturier, Giroux, Hayes, Konechny, Lawton, Lindblom, and yes, Nicholas Abe Kubel, <laughs> Ellis Provorov, Sanheim, Hart. So that means that Voracek and JVR are both exposed, as well as Braun Gossesbeer, Robert Haig, and the biggest uh, uh, player, Sam Moran. <laughs> the only guy that I'm significantly worried about here is Braun. Because yeah, I, that I mean, feels like their only option to really uh, cheap out. Yeah, and you know what, man? Like I've always loved Justin Braun since they traded for him back in 2019. I liked him when he was with San Jose. And I think in a lot of ways, he was kind of like the unsung hero this year. Yes, then again, undoubtedly any... true. Yeah, and like, you know, I, I know people will be like, how could anyone be a hero in this shit hell of a season? And that's true, 100%. But the guy was playing top pair when in an ideal world, he's a number five. But I think if you slide Braun down on that third pair for this upcoming year, and he's making, what, $1.8 million, I believe, and you leave him to pair with like a Cam York or Igor Zamula, he is like the prototypical perfect defenseman to help ease in uh, a young puck mover. Like he's not going to make mistakes. He's awesome on the penalty kill, has been to a Stanley Cup final. In a pinch, you can play him higher up in the lineup. He has good chemistry with Travis Sanheim. I just... I'm really hoping that Seattle does not take Justin Braun and we call it a day. Now, if they do, is it the end of the world? Of course not. You could always go out into free agency, sign a Zach Bogosian to kind of check the same box that he fills. I think Braun is much better than Bogosian, just my opinion. But, I mean, the other thing about this is, and obviously we've heard the reports that Seattle might be enticed by the Flyers to take... um, uh, Jake Voracek and you know I think at this point you almost have to because now that you've acquired a 6.25 million dollar contract and yes you gave up the Myers deal but you still took on an additional what is it like three and a half 3.75 million dollars in salary if you want to make other additions you're going to have to move out some significant contracts and I still think they absolutely have to move at least Vorchek and Gossespierre. If they want to come back with JVR for whatever the fucking reason, knock yourselves out. He had a decent year last year. More power to you. But Vorchek and Gossespierre can't be on this roster next year. And, you know, I, I had heard some talk that maybe there was going to be a backdoor deal with Seattle to ensure that the Flyers, um, that Seattle does take um, Jake Vorchek. Like, so... 
maybe it's something along the lines of Seattle takes a defenseman that the Flyers think is okay, and they overpay for that defenseman to ensure that Seattle takes um, uh, Jake Voracek. So just as an example here, completely speculative, but let's say they take Eric Johnson, who went healthy, I really like, and the Flyers give them the 13th overall pick so that they take Voracek, and in return, the Flyers get Eric Johnson. Is that something you would like to see? Yeah, that's... uh... Something that, that, that's what I was assuming would happen anyway. It would be something uh, along those lines of, you know, Seattle doing a lot of wheeling and dealing. The uh, names of people that are exposed here. Carey Price, Vladimir Tarasenko, Gabriel Landeskog, Ryan Johansson, Mark Giordano, Jonathan Duran, Yanni Gord, Tyler Johnson, Zayshin Zucker, Alex Ovechkin, Jared McCann, Capo Kakinen, um, uh, among others. So lots of big money available out there. Um you know, I think you're going to see a lot of these guys, you know, mainly guys like Tarasenko as well, probably get picked by Seattle and then flipped in a deal alternate that gives them, you know, picks and prospects, something along the lines that we saw with Vegas do quite a bit. Um, they were not afraid to wheel and deal for a lot of future assets. So you'll probably see something very uh, similar here. Um, I wrote a piece a few weeks ago reviewing all the 2017 uh, expansion draft trades, and there were quite a few of those deals uh, involved that, you know, uh, you 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 gave them something, they gave you something back. You know, it wasn't just complete fleecing in one way or the other. But uh, yeah, that's what I would do: is uh, try and pick up something and uh, ensure they take Voracek. Because I think a lot of your moves now will be critical on the cap space that you're going to save by losing Voracek and or Van Riemsdyk. I would assume Goss's bear's gone too, though I feel like we've been saying that for like three years now. So this guy may just stick around to the end of time at this point. But yeah, I think it is critical that you try and keep Braun at all costs, not necessarily because Braun is untouchable, but simply because you need the financial relief elsewhere in the lineup. And uh, you got to steer him clear of Robert Haig because we all know how much Dave Haxtell loves Robert Haig. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, like, at this point, like maybe it's just I'm just so optimistic about this Ryan Ellis move that if they did just take Justin Braun and called it a day, I wouldn't be that broken up about it. But it would just be like another move that ensures that you have to check off another box because they could kind of kill two birds with one stone with Seattle. Like you clear a big contract and you probably get a, an asset back, albeit overpaying for him. But if you just allow them to take Justin Braun, then you're left in a scenario where you're just like, okay, so now we got to still move a contract or two and add two defensemen probably. Because I, I don't think that Gossesper is going to come back and I think they're going to find a defenseman to play with Travis Sanheim and Robert Hag is probably going to be your seven or your eight. So, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense here for them to kind of force them to take a Jake Voracek or at bare minimum, a James Van Riemsdyk. And I mean, to be honest, like as much as like we kind of tend to crap on JVR, if you're Seattle and let's say Chuck Fletcher says, OK, no backdoor deal, take whoever you want. Are you taking JVR or Justin Braun? Probably JVR, but... See, this is where the financial implications come in. You know, would they take somebody like JBR for free if another team is going to offer it and pay, you know, somebody to take Carey Price or whatever, you know, something stupid. But that's, that, that is the ultimate thing here and that I find fascinating. The list of names that I, you know, read off earlier, like Vladimir Tarasenko, Landis Kog, Johansson, Giorgiano, uh, I believe Duchesne was another one that I saw. Like, are any of those guys better than Voracek and or 
JVR, I guess Landis Cog is, but... You know, in terms of big money contracts out there, the Flyers probably have two of the more interesting options, two of the more, you know, palpable options in terms of adding that kind of talent, um, getting the most bang for your buck, shall you say. Um, Voracek and JVR are not bad hockey players. You're just overpaid a little bit. And, uh, you know, I would assume that even if you don't entice them, that Voracek and or JVR are you know, at least semi-enticing options to to Seattle in terms of getting something back. But, you know, there comes the financial thing. If Ron Francis is smart, you spin it, you, you use all the leverage you can in the flat cab year to get some assets for taking on a big deal. And thus you'd be, you know, more leaning towards somebody like Justin Braun. But it all depends. All depends on how high they value Voracek under JVR. If Dave Haxtell just has a raging heart on over Voracek still, maybe he goes out of his way to select him or something. Who the hell knows? But, you know, it, it, it all comes down to how hard Seattle uses their leverage in the, the you know, the, the flat cap era here. And it, it's pretty intriguing to me that they protected Abe Kubel. And I think that's a bit more just because who the hell else are you going to protect? Like, I remember in the Vegas expansion draft, they protected Gudis and Brandon Manning. That's true. <laughs> because, like, who the hell else? And I, what goalie? Did, was it Neuverth that they protected? I'm, I'm trying to think now who they protected, what goaltender. I want to say it was Michael Neuverth, which is just hilarious. Like, <laughs> like, I'm sure if we look this up, I'll look it up right now. What their list was like that year, it was probably entirely hilarious. Well, the four words I remember was fairly significant. Like, you had Giroux, Voracek, Lawton, uh, Simmons, Couturier. Couturier, Filpola, Giroux, Lawton, Shen, Simmons, Voracek. Their defensemen were Gossesmere, Gudis, and Manning. And uh, their goaltender was Anthony Stolarz. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was Stolarz. Fucking Anthony Stolarz. Yeah. Yeah, and the, so like I the four that was the year Mason was up, and they did not protect Neuberth. Yeah, well that that was a um, completely legitimate uh, top um, uh, like forward group. The defense is just hilarious. I remember like everyone's just like, "Are they going to protect Manning or McDonald?" Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> We've come a long way in a few years. Yeah, and like I, I have to say that the Flyers are going to go through both expansions without losing anyone significant. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's pretty, that's pretty cool that they were able to survive that. This year, it's more of like you're hoping they take a big name, but like I think mean, maybe they surprise us. Like maybe Seattle's just like you know we're going to take Felix Sandstrom. Boom, there we go. Like and then they move on. But like. I'm to tie it more back into like this Alice trade here. What like we have been saying for months now that we're giving Fletcher the benefit of the doubt here. And I think he's made us look pretty good in saying that so far. But how much more does he have to do for the rest of the offseason? And what specific moves do you want to see him make for you to still be happy with him by the time the season rolls around. I think the key to all of this now, and this you know comes off as, as maybe negative or whatnot, but 
this cannot be it. You know, this was a feel-good win for one day, but in the grand scheme of things, there's a lot of work left to do. Um, you can't, you know, rest on your laurels at this point. You still need a backup goalie, preferably somebody of substance. Um, I, I just don't think signing Ellis or uh, Elliot rather goes anywhere. I saw somebody say that Hawk was going to hit the free agent market, and it's like, eh, it's just it's it's too much of the same at this point. I think you need a younger guy who can handle a bit more of the workload, just in case Carter Hart comes back and can't be that solid. Um, the facelift on defense needs to continue, specifically because you, you didn't really add another body to the list. You just swapped one out with Ryan Ellis. You need to add a, a couple guys if you want to get rid of, you know, Robert Hagen, a nothing deal, whatever. If Gossesbury leaves, whatever. You know, you're going to need some continued help back there. Which names? Who knows? You know, that'll all uh, come with time. Um, but, you, you know, probably a, a another top four and maybe a worthwhile depth guy, you know, if you want to have an insurance policy outside of Robert Haig there. Um, forward, you definitely need a 3C. Maybe another solid depth guy, fourth liner, just in case, you know, the, the mixture of Abe Kubel, Lazinski, and Turinsky uh, don't work out, or Jackson Cates, whoever the fuck is down there these days. Um, something like that. And listen, if you got a little bit of... You know, ammunition of uh, draft picks and our prospects left over, and you want to flex your muscles elsewhere, find another top winger to potentially score some goals. You know, they aren't going to come cheap, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really like the idea of Vladimir Tarasenko, but uh, hey. Yeah, me neither. If you want to, if he, if he comes cheap enough, you know, through Seattle and you want to pick him up for next to nothing, yeah, why the fuck not? Give him a shot. Um, yeah. To uh, be honest, uh, like not to cut you off, but like the whole Vlad Tarasenko thing, and I and I loved him a few years back, but the injuries do kind of scare me, and I feel like acquiring him, it's just like, are we getting Voracek 2.0? You know what I mean? But like the only way I would kind of inquire on him and seriously consider adding him is if they want to do like a JVR for Tarasenko swap, one for one. Because, you know, when we had Lou Korak on, he mentioned that they want a top-line left wing to play with O'Reilly and David Perron. And that would check that box, especially if they stri- if they strike out on Gabe Landeskog. But Tarasenko, for me, is like the last down the pecking order in terms of what they need to do. If they're going to add forwards, I think in this order, it has to be a legit middle six center and then a winger that can play in the top nine, maybe a third liner that can bring some toughness. So like Reinhardt Bertuzzi, those are two names that I really, really want. I think Bertuzzi has some significant legs to it. I I would not be surprised at all if post-expansion the Flyers land Bertuzzi. Reinhardt, I'm not so sure. I'm sure that they've kicked tires on him. I, I can tell you for certain that the... Uh, a league executive that I spoke to views him as a 2C in this league. But aside from that, like, I don't know if they're going to pay the premium to get Sam Reinhardt. But even, like, if it's between, like, a Bertuzzi and a Tarasenko, what would you rather? Oh, Bertuzzi for sure. Um, yeah, the, the <laughs> I've seen Tarasenko's name a lot on Flyers Twitter lately, and I'm not entirely sure why. Um, I, I, I think people just recognize the name and realize that at one point he was, you know, a 40-goal scorer. But, man, three shoulder surgeries, 
on the same shoulder in two and a half years for whatever the reason. You know, somebody, well, one of them is a reconstructive thing or one of them was a miss. And it's like, listen, I don't give a shit how minor or, you know, severe these injuries were. Three short, uh, three short, uh, fuck, three surgeries <laughs> on the same, the, the, the same body part in a very short amount of time is never good. And he's getting up there in age. The contract's not great. It's just not super worth it. Um, especially if you don't get rid of, uh, Voracek or JVR. But yeah, listen, I, I, if you want to get rid of somebody like Voracek for Tarasenko, where you have one less year and, you know, a 1.2 million less or whatever the fuck it is, seven, seven and a half, fine. You know, in a way you are, you're, you're helping the organization out by doing that one for one for JVR just to have another body there. It's a similar cap hit. Like it's fine. It, it's not ideal. Not. You know, if you were one piece away and you wanted to take a risk on somebody like Terra Singh, more power to you. But I think there's a little bit more building that needs to happen here and bigger holes that need to be addressed before you can have the luxury of taking a risk on Tarasenko. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm not super thrilled. Bertuzzi would be fine. Um, yeah, I don't have the uh, list up in front of me of who's, uh, what the free agent list looks like right now, but... There's uh, plenty of options out there. I'd go hard for Reinhardt. Obviously, we don't know how much I love him, but... Uh, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, the, because I'm kind of looking at this now, and if you solidify the defense with another, and this is assuming that they retain Braun, like if you solidify the D with a Savard or Rista line in, you bring in a backup like Allmark or Bernie, and then you add the, like a depth forward like Bertuzzi and a depth center, let's say. I, I keep saying Nick Benino, but that's just kind of like a random name. Like just plug in any depth center in that hole. If you came back with more or less the main, the same top six, like Giroux, Couturier, Konechny, Farabee, Hayes, let's say Allison, and then on the third line you have, I don't know, Bertuzzi, Benino, and Limblom. Like, I feel like it could lack some goal scoring, maybe a little redundant, but if you shore up the defense and the goaltending and bring in some good depth pieces— would you be okay at least starting the year with that and trying to look for a big offensive weapon as the season progresses? Yeah, I, that'd be fine. You know, I, I, I am, you're putting a lot of stock in the basket of Farabee and Allison um, in terms of them moving forward, you know, taking legitimate steps forward. And, and I would as well. Um, I really do like Wade Allison, one of the few people in this system right now that I believe does hold the potential to uh, you know, be a star, and, and Farabee looks very good as well. So those two, I think, can handle the workload. You gotta hope Giroux can hold on another year. You know, continue whatever he was doing last year, and just hope it lasts another year uh, in the process, and hope that Konechny can you know bounce back to whatever the hell he was before last season. You know, you you do want somebody that can kind of produce, and that's kind of why Reinhardt is yet another, you know, onion, yeah. the, 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 the layer of the onion of somebody like Sam Reinhardt who can play multiple positions, power play, and kind of just produce at a general rate um, at, at, a, at a even strength as well. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't hate something like that, a Bertuzzi, Benino, or, you know, interchange whoever the hell goes on that line with any other legitimate three Cs out there. But, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, I... I... I, I do think that you'd be somewhat rolling the dice if you kind of run it back with the same main offensive weapons. 
But, I mean, if you shore up pretty much everything else, and to be fair, the Flyers did have a decent season last year in terms of offense. But, like, even if you came back with, like, a scenario of, let's say, how could I put this? If you bring in a Sam Reinhardt, I feel like it just gives you so much more flexibility and options. And you kind of alluded to that. And, like, I would like to see a scenario where, like, even if you just flipped, let's say, Morgan Frost and let's say you do, like, Morgan Frost, Gosses Spear, and Konechny for Rista Linen and Sam Reinhardt. Let's just say. A deal. deal like that. <laughs> yeah, me too. And you come back because with because then I think you could legitimately start building something long-term between Reinhardt and Faraby. And you could say, like, these are going to be, like, the two cogs of our main offense for a long time. And then as we move over into, like, next year and so on and so forth, you can sprinkle in maybe a guy like Allison as he develops or Forster. So, like, because if you make a deal like that, just a simple deal like that, and assuming you still get a guy like Bertuzzi, and you come, come can come back with the top line of, let's say, JVR, Reinhardt, Farabee, then you have a Giroux, Couturier, Limblom line that you could kind of deploy as just like a very good, reliable second defense first line, and then a high octane energy line of let's say Bertuzzi, Hayes, and Allison. Like just flipping Konechny for Reinhardt would just go such a long way yeah. in reshaping the look of that top nine. And I think if you start deploying. Giroux and Couturier and I think Limblom would be a perfect fit on that right side beside those two as kind of like that shut down super reliable second line like the entire look of your offense changes and even a guy like JVR playing with Farabee and Sam Reinhardt like I mean that's why I think I'm so hung up on swapping Konechny for Reinhardt because as you said just the fact that he can play center he helps the power play. He's more of a shoot-first player. Like, it, you could kind of slide Kevin Hayes down to a third-line role, which, I mean, him and Allison and even Farabee, but I think Farabee can play higher up in the lineup than those two. Like, that would just give you so much depth. Like, could you imagine a third line of Bertuzzi, Hayes, and Allison? Like, that's it's amazing. Like, what would you, like, what would you think of an offense that looks something like that? I I I love Sam Reinhardt. I've been you know verbally jerking this guy off for the past month at this point. I just the the versatility he brings to the lineup. You know, a lot of people don't like him. You know, there's there's a lot of talk on you know the Flyers Twitter that he doesn't bring anything unique to the table. Because if you just look up his stats, you know he his numbers are basically identical to what Konechny's putting up: twenty five goals, fifty points. You know, it may not be you know an elite level offense to produce here, but the versatility alone is something that is worth its weight in gold for this current team. Um, you do not have a lot of these guys that can play multiple positions outside of Giroux and Lawton. I guess Faraby can play either wing, but I don't think he's touched uh, much center. You know, this is a guy that just checks a lot of boxes for the Flyers and and having that kind of versatility especially down the middle at this point you know with Couturier and Hayes both getting older both of them you know have their injury history both of them their concerns you know you're coming back a lot of people don't like the idea of playing Hayes at 3C because you're paying him seven million dollars but listen that's a luxury to have somebody like Kevin Hayes on your 3C right now and absolutely you know 
Reinhardt just is a top six guy, center wing, whatever you need him for. You know, it gives you the versatility. We all know AV loves to shake up his lineups. You know, having somebody that can actually play multiple different roles helps tremendously for AV when he's going to shake this shit up. So, I I loves me some Sam Reinhardt. He would be the perfect addition to this team. Um, if you can pick up Ristolainen as well and plop him, you know, on the third pair and just let him wreck people all season long, great! There's an added benefit as well. So... I love it. He, he, I would do whatever the fuck they want for Sam Reinhardt. I hope he's on their radar. Um, he, he's just, he just makes a lot of sense. And then obviously somebody like Bertuzzi or, you know, whoever the fuck goes down there, uh, helps as well. So he's just, he, he's a guy that just makes a lot of sense given what the flyers needs are right now. Yeah. And especially just the fact that he's like a right shot offense for centerman. Like, he would kind of bring, like, a dynamic that we haven't really seen since Danny Briere, in a way. Yeah. Like, a guy that, like, excels on the power play, you know, right shot, shoot first. Like, I mean, like, I've seen a lot of people say, like, they should pursue Phil Denno. And, you know what, I really like Phil Denno. But if you sign Phil Denno and you have Couturier, Hayes, Dano and then maybe Lawton as your 4C like that it's just so redundant like they're all left shot defense first centerman and I just and even a Nick Benino would kind of do that as well just not as good as Phil Dano still a left shot defense first centerman and that's why I just love the thought of having a Sam Reinhardt who shoots an opposite side excels on the power play and again, like it comes back to this Travis Konechny thing where like this is not me saying that Konechny is bad. I think Konechny is very good. I think he's better than what he showed in the bubble or last season. But at the end of the day, he does play the position of which the Flyers are deepest at. He does hold significant value as opposed to other assets they may have. And if that if you could parlay that into a centerman to kind of really give you a lot of flexibility up and down your roster... I just don't know how you don't seriously explore that. And to your point, like AV likes to shake up his lineup, like whether or not you agree with that, that's a different argument. But I mean, that is the case. But when you have guys who just play solely one position, like how much mixing and matching can you really do? Like we saw it how many times this year, but it was always pretty much, okay, well, Katoria and Hayes are still going to be down the middle of the ice. Voracek and Konechny are still going to be at right wing. JVR is still going to be at yep, left wing. Yep, yep, like, yep. it's like it was just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. But if you bring in a guy like Reinhardt who can play two right wing or one right wing and two C, and then you have Giroux who could pretty much play any forward position, Farabee who could play both wings, Limblom could play both wings, Bertuzzi, I think, can play both wings. It just goes such a long way. Like, even a guy like Scott Lawton, I think they give him a bit too much money because I think one way or another, him or Limblom are going to be playing on the fourth line and paying a fourth liner $3 million isn't that all that ideal. But you're, and I think you're the first one who say, said this, you're playing paying Scott Lawton for his versatility. Yes. Like, that's pretty much what he brings to the table. And, you know, if they can make it work and have him as a luxury utility guy on the fourth line who can jump up in case of injury, awesome. I do think there's a lot of value in that. But I guess the last thing that I would pitch to you is that if they brought in Sam Reinhardt, would you be okay kind of bringing back JVR as the top line left wing or 
I won't say top line because any line that Katori is skating on will probably be the quote-unquote top line. But let's say the main offensive line alongside, let's say, Reinhardt and Farabee. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like, the thing with GVR is, like, I don't really mind him, but, you know, he, he's a net front power play guy. You know, he, he serves a purpose, but it's not necessarily... Like, I remember the that... that who the fuck was they referred to him as a play driver? It's like that's not fucking true. <laughs> he's not a he's not a goal scorer. He's not a play driver. He's a net front guy that's gonna tip in some shit every now and again when he gets on his hot streak. You know, otherwise he's just a guy that is a fine hockey player that isn't gonna you know screw you in any way. I, I, I don't know if I want to rely on him in that kind of role. You know, as being the the top winger or quite frankly a top six winger at this point I think especially with Nolan Patrick gone now he should be the guy if he's sticking around that sees a lion's share of the net front of the power play uh, maybe with Wade Allison depending on you know where they end up slotting him in um but uh I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate if he comes back I really I have no interest in watching JVR play ever again at this point but uh if he does come back there is at least a role for him um it's just kind of about using him in that role and not giving him a whole lot of, you know, ulterior motives or, or trying to make him carry the offense like we saw this year. Because once that hot streak dried up, you know, he didn't do pretty much jack shit for the rest of the season um, for the last 20, 30 games, whatever it was there. It was just, it was not good after he cooled off. So I wouldn't hate it. I would ideally get rid of him. Um, but uh, if he has to stay around, you know, he does serve at least somewhat of a purpose. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know. My hatred for JBR clouds everything. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, he, he does bring good things to the table. But, you know. Well, either way you slice it, we actually have something positive and new to talk about. And I'm really excited for our shows uh, over the next two weeks. I think it's going to be very, very exciting. Yeah, I got uh Got a lot of shows over the next little while here. Um, let's see. Where's the list? There it is. I'll be back. When actually, I got a show Shane tomorrow, but I'll be back Wednesday with someone. I don't know who yet, but I'll figure it out. Uh, Friday with Mike and Manny. Uh, Sunday with uh, Noah and Katie. Wednesday uh, with Anthony. Uh, Friday <laughs> with uh, I believe that's Shane as well, and then Sunday the first with uh, Nick and a kind of a wrap up show. So the entire crew will get together over the next two weeks here and have their say in what's going on. So gonna be very busy. Gonna be a whole lot of shows coming your way over the next little while here. There's you know hopefully there'll be uh, plenty to talk about. And there'll be uh, far more to this Ryan Ellis deal. But let's put it this way. I'm a lot more comfortable today at 10.56 a.m. than I was yesterday at 10.56 a.m. So, you know, one move goes a long way. Chuck Fletcher definitely bought himself some uh, so, some good grace there. Some hope from the fan. Uh, it's what I wanted to see. It's finally a big move. His leash gets uh, loosened at least a little bit. So hopefully he keeps it up. And this is a completely different looking team by this time in two weeks. Yeah. I, I mean, he's bought a lot of good grace, I think, with, with opening up the offseason with this move. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, like you said, this is not a finished product. There's still a lot of work to be done. But credit where credit is due, he literally checked off the biggest box this early in the offseason. So, I mean... He's gotten my um, benefit of the doubt for a little while longer here. 
Yeah, I'll put the pitchforks and torches down for a little while. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just it was it was a great addition as a player. It was a great trade getting him for next to nothing. You know, this is uh was what I wanted to see. It could not be more perfect than it is now. Um, which is hey, listen, it's all I ever wanted. I know people like to call us negative, but all I ever wanted was a step in the right direction, and we finally got it. So I'll be positive for a day, everyone. <laughs> <sighs> Until next time. Yeah, until, until next time, time when they inevitably fuck something up between now and then. But uh, I guess that we'll call it a day, everyone. Just uh, talk the schedule earlier. There's a leftovers up. It's a Mike and Manny one. Uh, if you have not listened to that yet, uh, Mike goes off about being a season ticket holder. Uh, it's a good little episode there. And we talk about that episode of Snuggle Goalie as well. So uh, at Daily Flyer Van, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. Plenty of shows coming your way over the next few weeks. And uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at a demarco twenty five. All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night.